You're listening to What Goes On Here, and I'm Sam Walker. Whoever we are, and whatever we do, we all have moments when we feel like we don't quite fit with the world around us. What Goes On Here is where you can listen to real stories of people who at times couldn't see a way forward, people who found themselves stuck, maybe in a life they never imagined would be theirs, people who had to face their fears, face themselves, but they changed, and changed lives of people around them too. Episode 5, John. John Joseph is an Ironman. He competes in competitions all over the world, raising thousands for charity in the process. He's a published author, having written a memoir and a book on his plant-based diet. And he's lead singer in the punk band, the Cro-Mags, who've played to crowds of tens of thousands across the globe. Our drummer, Mackie misheard what I said about when the race was and booked a gig the night before the Ironman. Anyway, we played the show, drove back to New York. I didn't sleep at all. I didn't sleep not even 20 minutes, but I completed the race, and that was my first Ironman. He's also been in prison several times for drugs and violent offences. He was homeless at 14 years old and abused from the age of six when he was placed into foster care. My brother kept a diary for years of what they did to us every day and and what we ate. And when the social worker finally read the diary, he, he, he broke down crying. And this is a grown man. When your whole life has been rooted in crime, violence and drugs, how do you make different decisions about your future and change the person that you are? And I said in my book, if you keep kicking a dog, that's going to be a violent dog. I mean, I was absolutely insane. You grew up in the 60s in New York City. Tell me about your family. My uh, father was a uh, professional boxer. He was blessed with the alcoholic uh, gene and um, basically was very violent uh, towards uh, my mother. And uh, the state took us out of uh, the home and they placed us into foster care. We spent uh, six years in, in uh, one of the most abusive uh, foster homes uh, in New York State that uh, every kind of abuse you can imagine. So uh, you, you were taken out of a violent, abusive home and, and placed... And put in a worse home. We were starved. You know, we were beaten constantly. The father was very abusive, the foster father. And, uh, you know, sexual abuse by the other older 18-year-old boys that were in the home and uh, it was it was uh it was not a good time and uh as a result to that of that I uh it was something I would never talk about it, you know mm-hmm. it's embarrassing especially for a dude but uh I mean this guy was so twisted the foster father took me to a uh, mental institution Pilgrim State and smashed my face against the fence uh saying that he would put me in here uh, and no one would find out where I was if we ever said anything about what was... I mean... How old are you at this time? Um, I was probably about, uh, I want to say, seven or eight. It was when I first got there because, uh, you know, they pretended to love us. And then, you know, once the reality of our situation emerged, I tried to tell someone at school. And, uh, you know, the principal called him down and... Mm-hmm. And then uh, the worst person. Yeah, to call. yeah. Yeah. You know, they thought I was making it up. Who they did th- love you? Yeah. 
Who did love mm-hmm. you? Uh, I know my mother did, but, she, you know, she had a lot of problems, which I didn't even find out till later. I always resented her because she had um, a boyfriend that didn't want us around. And, and so, you know, she kept promising us that we would come home. And, you know, we, we just kept getting um, our dreams of that smashed on the rocks, you know. We knew she loved us, but it, it, I didn't find out until after I was uh, 40 years old that Actually, she only planned to have my older brother, and she left my father. He broke into the house and raped her, and that's how I was conceived. And then he did that again, and um, that's how my younger brother was conceived. So here was a woman, 20 years old, 21 years old, with three kids, and uh, she had to take them to court to make them pay child support. And he would pay it and then break into the house and beat her. I mean, he broke her jaw, her nose once, and 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 um, and he would take the money back. And the cops, he was like the hero, you know, the big boxer guy, welterweight. He fought at Gramercy Park Gym with Customato. I mean, he was back then. It was like, you know, she's your wife. It's not rape. She got away from the foster home, but you ended up on the streets of New York City, homeless, and you were just a child. I'm talking 14 years old, sleeping under the boardwalk in Rockaway Beach and sleeping in staircases and sleeping on the train and having my pockets cut open to, to try to rob me and and um, and, uh, and uh, sleeping in porno theaters. That was what we would do in the wintertime because it was a dollar. You would go pay a buck on 14th Street. It was all porno theaters. And uh, you would sleep in, in the porno theater uh, because it was warm. And, and you know, you, I mean... I had, you know, a knife in my pocket. Uh, I was given a roof over my head by, in an abandoned kind of bungalow in Rockaway, and that I earned my keep by uh, being a heroin mule. And uh, and then uh, then I ended up involved in the angel dust trade. And uh, I mean, this this young boy, this teenage boy in his formative years, getting involved with violence and drugs. This this became your normal life. But you did have this escape. One thing in your life that was an escape was music and even going back to your foster home music was something that that carried you away right i had this little am radio that i would stay under the blankets and and with the earphone and even while we were going through all the abuse and everything i would just music was uh the thing that helped me just forget about all that and i said in my book if you keep kicking a dog that's going to be a violent dog eventually yeah. but music music saved my life and a lot of people kind of say that but it's it's uh it's really true it was it was punk that reached out to you when you were a teenage boy really it was an outlet for like the violence like i i heard the ramones and then there was just this certain energy to it like i even heard you know iggy pop uh, uh, the Stooges in like 74, 75 and, um, you know, the damned and sex pistols and all of this stuff. I, and then like the effect of like going to the club and, and it was just the energy of the punk, man. It just, just, it was, it, it spoke was, to you. I just loved it as a, a release of, uh, you know, that energy and that anger that had built up inside of me. But the punk scene that John loved also kept him tied to drugs and crime. And inevitably, he was caught and he went to prison. You know, I was in Spofford Juvenile Detention Center for three months in the Bronx. I got stabbed. There was a riot. I, was, I went in fighting every single day. But when I got out, I reoffended, and I went right. See, if you don't offer an alternative to what 
these kids have, they're going to go right back to what they know. Yeah. And that's what I did. So when I got out, I went right back to the same drug people in Rockaway Beach. And, and, and I, and I uh, you know, I caught another case, as they say. And then so my mother was dating a Navy recruiter at the time. And he, he offered me lockup or the Navy. So I chose the Navy. But even in the Navy, I went to boot camp. Me and my brother, we went and bought bags of angel dust and smoked angel dust. And I went to boot camp high on angel dust. And then even in the Navy, I was smuggling drugs and, and selling drugs. And I why, even... Why? Why did you do that? Because that's what, I, that's what I knew. And I spent like a month in Puerto Rico and took acid and had all these crazy adventures with these wild military dudes. And then uh, they sent me back to Norfolk and I was going to, you know, all the clubs and met the Bad Brains. And, and you know, when I met them, it kind of opened up this like spiritual door that yeah. I really feel that I needed in my life. So you'd, you'd been part of the punk scene in New York City, which hadn't done you any favors. It, you know, it left you steeped in drugs, you got into trouble. Yet meeting another punk band, meeting the Bad Brains, totally changed your life. Why? Well, the punk scene in New York was built around drugs. You know, look at, look at Sid Vicious. And then when I met the Bad Brains and the conversation went to philosophy, and that's what I loved about the Bad Brains and their entourage were, you know, J.W. who produced their first record. And it was this whole group of, like, they were vegetarian. Jerry was into raw foods. And first of all, the best musicians to ever walk the face of the earth. And everyone, I mean, when the Dam saw the Bad, played with the Bad Brains at the Bayou Theater in 79 in D.C., they were like, we got to take these blokes to London. And, uh, I mean, that's the effect they had on everybody. But then you went AWOL from the Navy and you hitched a ride to New York City. You didn't know where you were going to go. You didn't know where you were going to stay again. I rolled out the gate and never looked back and uh, ended up uh, hitching a ride with a band called The Undead. They played at the 930 Club and they drove me back to New York. When I got out of their van on Avenue A, I, I just didn't even know what I was doing. I didn't know where my life was going to take me, but I just got out of that van and just walked. And the first people I met were the Bad Brains. They were standing in the doorway of 171A, HR, smiling like he, he knew I was coming. <laughs> and then I moved into the studio and was there while they were recording uh, their first album. And then that's when the Cro-Mag started rehearsing at 171A. It is extraordinary when you hear people's tales of addiction and redemption and finding themselves and moving through life. Not many people can say their rehab was hanging out with a punk band. <laughs> well, it's pretty unusual. Here's the deal. So when I moved in, HR said two things. You can't eat meat and you can't take drugs or drink. Did and that scare you, that prospect? Because drugs had been fueling every part of your personality. The thing was... All I knew in my life at that point was suffering mentally, physically, everything. So I was like, what, you know, what do I got to lose? Let me try it. And then they got me a job at a health food store. <laughs> and I, I started taking yoga and completely changed my diet to a plant-based diet. You know, and then like when I started doing yoga and chanting and reading books on philosophy, it was just like this light came on. I love a quote from you where you say, when I get into something... I get into it, whether it's crack or meditation. And you really did. Or Iron Man triathlon. Yeah, yeah. The thing is, is, 
and this is what I tell people now because I do motivational, sp- I, I, I do uh, motivational speaking and stuff like that. And I say, listen, you, you know, those scars are there, and the thing, it's like a bone when you don't, when it doesn't heal properly. Um, it may seem like it's fixed, but it's not. And and then when the doctor comes in, he has to re-break the bone and set it. So it's like, I just buried all of that stuff from my childhood. And even though I was going through all this amazing stuff and, and, and took this journey, I lived as a monk for a year, as a Hare Krishna. And, you uh, lived as a monk? Yeah, yeah. I lived as a monk for for two years, actually. For uh, a year in Hawaii and a year in uh, New York. Shaved head, chanting Hare Krishna the whole nine yards. What did all your punk friends say about this? Oh, they made fun of me. They made fun of me, you know. But I, I didn't care because... You know, I feel so good here. Let me dive in full on. And, and I did straight in. But point I was getting to, no matter how much we think we're healed, if we don't face things that happen to us as kids yeah. and open up about it and, and get help with it, whatever your help that you need to do. For me, it was writing The Evolution of a Cro-Magnon. That was my therapy if you don't do that, at some point, those demons are going to keep rearing their ugly heads. Yes, because but then your band split up. You felt betrayed and you went straight back to drugs and crime. Chromags were, I mean, Metallica would come see us. I mean, it was just insane how ex- how the band just rocketed into like playing small arenas uh, from like little punk clubs in, in, in uh, 83 and 84 by 86. We, you know, we were like you know, the talk of the town, when you build something and it's taken away from you the way it was, like me quitting and, you know, it was more that these guys were my mates and they did me grimy like that. So I was left with nothing and I became a full-on crackhead. And and then I was like out sleeping in the park in the rain and I just... Again, full circle. Yeah, yeah, just full circle. And then I went back to the Hare Krishna temple and and I just broke down crying. And I was like, if you don't let me stay here, I'm going to die. And they let me move in. And I got my life back together from that point. Part of your recovery, of course, was to get involved in training, physical training in Ironman, which we'll talk about in a minute. But in the book you wrote about diet, plant-based diet, you also talk about how changing what you ate affected your mental health as much as your physical health. Let me tell you something right now. I had food issues, too, because I was starved as a child. So I would eat and eat and eat as an adult till my stomach was ready to explode because I always had this like sense that the food was going to be taken away from me. So I I had like eating issues too and learning how to eat properly and what foods to eat uh, really helped with the whole healing process. And, you know, now like I, I just wrote that book, Meat is, Meat is for Pussies, uh, two years ago and HarperCollins uh, published it. So I just kind of put in the book, like, you know, what um, my process, because everyone said to me, like, dude, you're like in your 50s. Now I'm turning 54 this year and I'm on Iron Man number seven. And they're like, yo, what do you do, man? You should write a book like what you do. And, you know, it's uh, I don't snap on anybody really out of compassion, but I take a certain tone in the book because that's where I am. I'm from New York and it's really been taken off here in the States and. You know, it's a great uh, it's a great thing, you know, but it's out of compassion that I wrote the book. And I say that throughout the book. It's just not uh, meant to judge anybody, you know. 
tell me about Iron Man. How did you, you know, later on in life, it's not like you were training from a teenager, later on in life, you found a love for, frankly, insane physical exertion. How did you get into Iron Man? I saw Iron Man Hawaii in 1981. I mean, it brought tears to my eyes, the stories of the people and crossing the finish line. And it's not the pro athletes that they don't have. They they easily finish in eight and nine hours and whatever. It's the age groupers and the stories of the people that overcame cancer and did tremendous things to cross that line. Yeah. And how the um, I, 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 I cried. I was like, I'm going to do this race one day. 81, right? 1981. Fast forward... 2012, I started meeting all these people at this bike shop, Sid's Bikes here in New York. Big props to them because they helped me out a lot. And uh, they're like, dude, you know, this guy, you got to meet him, man. His name is Orion Mims. And Orion Mims is a stud. He's an African-American brother, cool as hell, had a tough upbringing just like me. And You know, I saw him one day in this vegetarian restaurant. He was in there. Then we met and we developed a friendship. And I was like, dude, I want to compete. Hadn't even done an Ironman, not even a triathlon, (laughs) nothing. And he's like, listen, I can get us in the New York City Ironman August 11th for this charity. We got to raise like five grand each. I was like, bet, I'm in, I'll take it. And he started training me and working with me. And so uh, the race was coming up, and our drummer, Mackey, misheard what I said about when the race was and booked a gig the night before the Ironman. And it was a big gig. We were headlining a festival in Philadelphia called This Is Hardcore. He's like, yo, we got that gig coming up. I was like, when? He's like, yo, it's Saturday. I'm like, dude, the Ironman is Sunday. I, I told you. He's like, oh, man, I thought it was next month. Anyway, we played the show, went to Philly. My brother drove me, uh, so I didn't have to. So right after I came off the stage, I I drove back to New York, went to my house, had enough time to get a shower and go to the the start line, to the swim start. You didn't even properly sleep? I didn't sleep at all. I didn't sleep not even 20 minutes, and I had a stress fracture in my foot, but I completed the race, and that was my first Ironman. And like I say, it's either going to be one and done or you're going to get the Ironman bug and keep going. And that's what I did. I immediately signed up for Cabo. So I did Cabo, Cozumel. I did Taiwan last year. I did Boulder. I did Florida. So now I'm on number seven. May 14th is Ironman Texas. And then I'm in Vineman the end of July. And then October, I race uh, my long-awaited dream that took me 35 years Okay, to get into Kona, I'm in Kona this year for the Children's Tumor Foundation, and I'm racing for a boy, three years old, so his family's been not only devastated emotionally by what this kid's going through, Alexander, but financially they've been devastated. So I pledged to uh, to raise $40,000 for his family, and I'm doing, uh, I'm doing Kona this year. I mean, Iron Man is, is physically ridiculously tough about as tough as it can get but what about the mental challenges you face when you're doing Ironman how do you deal with those I mean Ironman is a 2.4 mile swim you get out of the water and you get on your bike and you ride 112 miles and then you get off the bike and you have to run a 26.2 mile marathon so do the math 
that's a nice uh, 12-hour day of, <laughs> of suffering. And your mind is just going to play every trick possible, every insecurity, every little thing uh, that you can do, that it can do to trick you to quit. It will. In the Bhagavad Gita, it says the mind can be the best of friends or the worst of enemies. So the main thing, you've trained, you've got your body right uh, and ready, but it's the mental toughness that you really need to have when you're getting out there because every race, something's going to go wrong. Something will challenge you in some way or another. I mean, I had my, 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 uh, my nose broke in, in Cabo going into the water. The big wave washed everybody back on top of me. So I'm swimming a mile out in the ocean, shark water with a nose leaking, and they're trying to pull me out of the water. And I'm like, if you touch me, I'm going to beat the crap out of you. <laughs> So it's it's the mental toughness is what really Iron Man is all about. And that's really why I took it up because, you know, having that mental toughness and that fortitude is no matter what, you keep going. You don't quit. You don't quit in life. You don't give up on things. You see things through to the end. But I everything I do, it's because I love it and I develop this um, mental toughness attitude that you need to have in life because... You know, life is going to throw curveballs at you constantly, and I've really learned that over the years and through a lot of tough lessons. If you could edit your life, what would you edit out? I wouldn't edit any of it, and that's the truth, because every single experience was meant to teach a lesson, and life is really designed to challenge us. There has to be challenges. There has to be those, you know, those bad moments, because... That's how we grow as people. I welcome uh, those challenges now. I don't try to avoid them. And I'll tell you a story. Is uh, I, I speak to a lot of high schools and gang high schools in the city. And the first one I ever did, this English teacher read my book. She's like, would you come and speak to this school? And, uh, you know, all African-American, Puerto Rican kids. And a lot of them were in the Bloods and the Crips and gang members and getting in trouble. So I get in there and they're like, you know, who's this boy going to try to tell me something? But then... As I started relating to them my story of where I came from, and they're like, yo, you see the light come on? They're like, this cat had it way worse than us. And then I pull out my passport, and I'm like, look at where I've been all over the world, man. You know where the dudes that I've been, I was locked up with? They say there's only two places you're going, man, jail or in the ground. And that's the alternative. And I'm here to tell you that because all the dudes that I grew up with on the streets and 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 robbing and these dudes murdered people they're all dead they're all junkies they're in prison i said if that's what you want keep doing what you're doing cuz that's where you're going to end up and i'm going to tell you right now you do not want to be in prison and have your freedom taken from you and then by the end of me telling my story and relating to them and i've done about a dozen high schools already and even lockups and everything where they've already offended but there's hope. You see the light come on, and then by the end of it, they're just like, yo, how can I pay you back? I say, you know what? You work on yourself, because there's going to be a time the next person in line is going to come up and is going to need your help, and you need to be there for them. That's how you pay me back. You pay it forward. So if you can just imagine if we developed a world that's not based on greed and I, me, mine, you know, and, and, and based on compassion and, and helping other people. What, we, could, we could change what's going on in this planet within a week. And I would rather, you know, live my life knowing that I've helped 
however many people I've been able to help, that to me is what, you know, brings me happiness uh, in my life. John Joseph was talking to me, Sam Walker. You've been listening to What Goes On Here. Coming up next, episode six, Matthew. I choked. I got under the lights and I fell apart. No, I was inconsolable. Every morning, I think, for, for weeks to come, I, I, there was that, that horrific moment. What's left? What do I do now?